but it does need to be a competent team. And now on defense, the Titans are going to be a competent team next year. But on offense, we don't know what they're going to look like. There's a number of different ways we can we can go, and and not all of today's show, or I guess this will be the Monday morning show of the Hot Read Podcast. Not all of it's going to be live, but I wanted to go live here at halftime of the Sunday night football game between the Lions and the Packers to discuss um, what what I had put on on Twitter earlier today for the baseline of Titans off season uh, in terms of questions that we are going to get an answer to almost certainly in the next two, three, four months. And this is definitely the most fascinating Titans offseason that they've had in a while as an organization, as a franchise. There are a, a ton of massive questions that need to be answered, including who the new GM will be, what the quarterback situation will look like, what Mike Vrabel's influence over the personnel might look like, um, a number of more detailed personnel decisions to be made. And that's something that um, I, I think it's fun, of course, to discuss at at this point, you know, just one day into the Titans offseason. But almost certainly uh, there's going to be something that happens that is not expected. And so I, I thought it would be interesting for us to put out um, this list of questions that I'm going to get pulled up here um, and, and we can kind of discuss what these what these questions are, what the consensus so far, because these polls have been up for a couple of hours now. I've got at least six. It looks like I've got at least 600 to 700 votes on each poll. And so um, this is a good enough baseline for me to kind of see where everybody is on these questions. And I'll give you my two cents on what I think the correct choice at this point should be or what the what I think the most likely choice at this point will be. So I tweeted out that it's the first day of the Titans postseason, and I've got a couple of poll questions that I'll ask once or twice again before the draft in April. So it should be fun to see just how much our understanding of what should or will happen is going to change between now and April. And so here's here's the list of questions. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Twelve pressing questions that I think we'll get an answer to in the next four months. And I've already got, like I said, six to 700 votes on each poll. So this first poll question was the Titans 2023 quarterback situation should be blank. Now, there's two versions of this question that I put out there. There's what it should be and what you think it will be. This first one is what people think the quarterback situation for the Titans should look like next season. 23.4% of you voted to draft a quarterback. That is the second place choice behind one more year of Ryan Tannehill. That was the most chosen answer. 52.9% of you think that Tannehill will be back and around for one more season at least. And that's what should happen. Uh, the other options were a veteran quarterback via trade or free agency or Josh Dobbs, Malik Willis, or somebody else. Both of those had 10.7 and 13% respectively. I'm glad to see that you guys have your shoulders uh you know, your, your head on your shoulders tightly and squarely, because this, I think, is still the most likely outcome as well as the outcome that should be the case come next season. Ryan Tannehill, 
I, I, for my money, and again, a lot is going to change. My, uh, my opinion, your opinion is going to change significantly over the next two or three or four months. But as of right now, I still believe it's the best outcome for the Titans to go into next year with Ryan Tannehill on a restructured deal, probably a deal that extends him through 23 and through 24 with a, a more comfortable cap out after the 2023 season to allow them to move on after one more year of him, if that's what they choose to do. And the biggest reason that I think going with him again for one more year is the, the correct choice here is really that this team, I don't think offensively has the, the pieces, the weapons that you would need in order to bring in a rookie quarterback that you draft, you know, trade up for, you get Bryce Young, you get CJ Stroud, whoever it may be, God forbid, Will Levis. I don't think that they're going to have the people necessary for that person to thrive in their first year of development. I don't think it will be as dramatic as Justin Fields in Chicago in his first year when he had nothing and it was a disaster and he was fighting for time with Andy Dalton. But I do think it could be somewhat similar to that in the sense that even if this guy's a stud out of the gate, he's going to be really limited and you may even stunt his development by allowing him to play with the situation that the Titans have on offense. Now, the biggest thing that I'm pointing to in terms of offensive pieces around him is the offensive line. If you told me this team had a top even 16 offensive line next season, they somehow through free agency or the draft cobble together an offensive line that is at least average in the NFL in their ability to run and pass protect, then fine. I can understand that. I'm with that. I think that there's a much more compelling argument to be made in terms of going and thinking about if you fall in love with one of these guys at the top of the draft, trading up from 11th overall into the first, second, third, fourth spot in the draft and getting your guy. I can understand that. But in if and until, and I think it's a massive if, more like a fever dream if, because I don't think it's all that possible given their cap situation. But if they don't manage to put together a significantly improved offensive line. I just don't see how that is a very wise decision. And I think it, it best case, you're going to be like the bears with fields again, in the sense that you may get a guy, he may be a stud despite the fact that he has no help around him. And even then he might have to spend two or three years in a very bad situation with a bad team around him. That's going nowhere. And by the time you get the rest of the team built up around him, He's no longer going to be on a rookie contract. You're going to have to pay him and you're not going to be able to take advantage of that benefit. That really is the key for any team that does team building correctly. You get a team put around a new rookie quarterback that you can take all the savings cap wise that you're not spending on your quarterback who's on a rookie contract and invest it in pieces around him to go all in for two or three or four years while they're on that rookie contract. You've seen teams like the Eagles with Jalen Hurts and the Chargers with Justin Herbert and the Dolphins with Tua and the Bengals with Joe Burrow. They've all done this and they've done it well and it's allowed them to be contenders, allowed them to be aggressive in free agency and in the draft to put pieces around their guy. All of that is facilitated by the fact that they don't have to pay their rookie quarterback yet. And if you don't do it in the right order, if you don't have a, a decent a decent landing spot for your rookie quarterback to come into. It doesn't have to be an elite team outside of the quarterback position in order to justify bringing in that rookie, but it does need to be a competent team. And now on defense, the Titans are going to be a competent team next year, 
But on offense, we don't know what they're going to look like. And I think a, a big part of what they look like is going to be a result of who they draft and, and who they can manage to get in free agency despite their pretty shaky cap situation. I think if you spend the draft capital to go up and trade for a position in the draft in the first, second, third, fourth spot to get your guy at quarterback, I just don't see where you're getting the the capital. You have to spend capital to do that. You have to use a pick to do that. Where are you getting these other guys to put around him? I just don't know. I don't know. And so that's why I think that this is the correct answer. Clearly, you go one more year with Tannehill. Again, I'm happy to have my mind changed over the coming months, but right here today in the Titans' first day of the offseason, this is where my head is still at. And that goes hand in hand with the second question that I asked on Twitter. The The second poll was the Titans 2023 quarterback situation will be blank, not should be, but will be what you think this front office, what this coaching staff, what this franchise is going to do. And people even more over- overwhelmingly than what they thought, they they believe this organization is going to go with one more year of Tannehill. I think that's the correct um, prediction, 74% of the 673 voters have said that they think one more year of Tannehill is the most likely outcome. Second uh, second place was Dobbs, Willis, or somebody else being the quarterback next year, which has somebody who's going to be paid to watch and cover and write about and talk about this team next year. I'm begging you, please don't do that. Um, but it, it's you know not off the table. They could decide to move on from Tannehill and have a tank year and go with Dobbs or Willis or somebody else. And maybe that's a long term play to try to you know tank next year, get a high draft pick, and go get go get a guy like Drake May or um, Caleb Williams out of USC. Like that could be the long term play. I don't see that being the case, considering the fact that. Amy Adams Strunk holds this team to a very high standard. She didn't fire John Robinson just because she wanted to go into the tank the next year to, to kind of do a full reboot. She fired him because she wants this team to be above average and contending each and every year. She believes that they can be, and she's not going to bring in a GM. I don't think that's going to have that mindset of, okay, let's take two or three years, wipe the, the slate clean. Jeffrey Simmons, you might be out of here. Derrick Henry, you're out of here. Uh, Traylon Burks, you're going to need a new contract by the time we're competitive like that. That is not how I see this going. The third poll question was, if the Titans draft a quarterback in this draft, your preference is blank. The options were Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Will Levis, and the fourth option was Hooker, Richardson, or somebody else. Um I think that people by their votes have correctly numbered these, these quarterbacks. I've not really dove headfirst into my draft study yet. That's what the next month or so is for me. And I'm really excited to do that. But based on my preliminary research, it seems like Bryce young with 48.6% of the votes here is the best quarterback in this draft. I think that he's been the best quarterback in this draft. If you watched him in his bowl game, JT, God, see, if you guys watch the show, you know, Producer JT is usually with me. I'm doing this live right now because he's busy and can't join me until later. And then he decides while he's busy to come in the, the mentions and leave this nonsense. I'm going to block you and also fire you. Just leave me alone. Um, <laughs> the, the, the highest voted player in this poll was Bryce Young, 48.6%. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Christopher B. Y. B- Boyd. Bead, you got me for the first time. Don't suck. All right. I appreciate that. Not going to suck. Thanks for tuning in. The, the, the most 
voted for player in this poll is Bryce Young. Almost half of the people that voted voted for him. I think that he is the best player. Again, if you saw him in his bowl game just what was it, last weekend, he looked like that dude. And I think for most of this year, it's been really underrated just how much he had been kind of carrying this. Again, Alabama didn't have a bad team this year by any means, but it was a down year for them. And the fact that they were as successful as they were absolutely had a big, 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 part he had a big big part in in that success Bryce Young carried this team I think in a number of games and without him I think they would have had two or three or four more losses than they otherwise did then CJ Stroud with 37.6 percent and I'll give CJ Stroud this I wasn't all that mesmerized with him as a prospect throughout the entire year you know you watch the game against Michigan and he has a pretty down game I I, I don't know if that was his worst game of the year, but it had to be one of his worst games of the year. He didn't look that impressive there. And then you get to see him in the in the bowl in the playoff game, the bowl game against Georgia. They go toe to toe and he has a monstrous performance. I mean, I, I, I've had people that I respect much more than my own opinion on player evaluation, draft evaluation, guys like James Foster over at No Flags Film, got friend of the show. If you've listened to the Hot Read podcast at all, then, you know, James Foster and you know he's very good at what he does and he knows his stuff and I've seen him tweeting about you know I've not ever had a quarterback prospect have a single game like this that changed my mind on him as dramatically as CJ Stroud did in this game and that's 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 how you evaluate quarterbacks in the draft I think this is a little bit of a tangent but a lot of people have a, a misconception as to, well, when you evaluate quarterbacks coming into the draft, you have to take their tape, the good and the bad. You can't just look at the highlights. You can't just look at the lowlights. There's a pretty popular school of thought and a school of thought that I ascribe to that when you're evaluating quarterback talent in the draft, you actually should be focusing mostly on their highlights. Like you should watch all the tape for sure. And you should be aware of just how big a percentage those highlights came into play in their in their you know in their game if they've got a 15 minute highlight reel but they played five full years of college because they got COVID eligibility and you know those 15 minutes of highlights were one percent of their plays well that that tells you a little something other than you know a guy who may have played two or three seasons and their 15 minute highlight reel is like oh they had at least two or three of these plays each and every Saturday without fail that's important but you're looking for the upside. You're looking for the plus in these players. You're looking for what they can be if they get into the NFL and they develop. And that's found in their highlights. Like, that's what you're really looking for. And so a, a guy like Stroud goes out and put puts on that performance in that bowl game against Georgia on New Year's Eve. And it makes you think. It makes you think as a draft evaluator. I think that he's absolutely the second overall quarterback in this draft. And I think there's a better chance than not he becomes an NFL starter because I, I saw in him in that game a guy that can absolutely hang in the NFL. He looked like a true passer. Will Levis got 5.2%. It's hilarious to me that um, Hendon Hooker and Anthony Richardson or other, that fourth option, got more votes than Will Levis did in this poll just because people are so out on Will Levis. I'm so out on Will Levis. I've talked at length on the Mike Herndon show with Mike Herndon about how we are out on Will Levis. He's going to, and I'm telling you this not as a, an opinion, but as I think a matter of fact, he is going to entrance some front offices in the next two or three months. He is absolutely going to be a guy that certain NFL teams in their draft evaluation process 
begin to fall in love with. There's just no way he doesn't. His rocket arm, his leadership qualities, his personality. Um, he, he's very kind of stereotype quarterback for what a lot of these, I think, more old school GMs and coaches and owners are looking for. And I think that that's going to play a role. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to go number one overall, but I am saying that at, I think, plus a thousand odds, I already have a ticket or two on him to go number one overall because it would not shock me at all if somebody fell head over heels for him and made a what I think would be a mistake in trading up to draft him. I think on the Titans, that would be a nightmare. I think if you're a Titans fan, you should hope that he gets drafted by like the Colts or something. Somebody in those top five picks, if the Titans don't move up from 11, that's where they can get him. That's, I think, the ideal right there. Um, So, yeah, I think that that's the most likely outcome. But again, the whole point of these questions, if you're just joining us, these poll questions I put out are to see just how much the general perception on these questions the Titans have to answer this offseason just how much they change from day one of the offseason today between now and the NFL draft in the end of April. That's a long time, and our opinions will absolutely change on these things. We've got more questions to get to here in a minute, but I do have a question uh, posed by AE. When will we know if Amy Adams Strunk is keeping Mike Vrabel? Also, I feel the Titans have an elite coach but cannot win without an elite quarterback. They need to go get their quarterback when will they be picking this high again? I think that's a very fair question. I think over the next couple of months, that's going to be the main point posed by folks that are pro draft a quarterback this year, pro move up and get a quarterback this year, pro. I don't care about where you're drafting. I just know I've fallen in love with CJ Strider, Bryce Young. I think that they should go get that guy this year. Ultimately, I think with Mike Vrabel, That is absolutely a fair point and something that's going to have to be taken into consideration by the GM in this offseason draft process. Mike Vrabel is going to be a guy like Mike Tomlin, in my opinion. He's already a guy like Mike Tomlin in the sense that as long as he is your coach, you are going to be a contender. Now, a contender how? A contender for a Super Bowl? Yes, sometimes. A contender for the division? Yeah, sometimes. Most times, I think. A contender to make the playoffs? I think most Every season, yes, that's going to be the case. Mike Vrabel is going to have a long career in the NFL, and as long as he's a head coach, I think the last two years are absolutely demonstrative of the fact that he is going to compete each and every year, and the fact that he came this close with the skeleton crew that he had this year to making the playoffs and winning the division, and this is his first year as a coach below 500 winning record, and there were a handful of games this year that should have gone the Titans' way, and they probably would have had a winning record, like if Randy Bullock knows how to kick in the first game of the year, if the Titans can hang on against the Bengals, if Josh Dobbs probably forward pass last night wasn't ruled a fumble, and the Titans lost to the Jaguars, like all of these things could have gone either way and they just didn't go the Titans way this year. And that's the way that the cookie crumbles. But I think that 11th overall is probably I'd be willing to bet that 11th overall is the highest the Titans are picking without a trade involved in the NFL draft for a long time. It may be four or five or six years. It may be a decade. You don't know. Like Mike Frabel could end up like Mike Tomlin and have this single losing season on his record. And his, you know, 12, 13, 14 year record as a head coach, he's only got one losing season. That could be a a serious thing. And so if you do want to get a stud quarterback at the top of the draft, this is the closest you're going to get. And this is the most valuable first round pick that you're going to have. 
in the coming years to, to make that move up there. So I think that that's a fair argument. And if they end up doing it because of that, I can understand that. Another question from Christopher. He says, speaking as a GM, which I am not, we are negative $18 million in cap next year, 2024. The Titans are in the good $111 million on the cap. He says that they should release Cunningham, Dupree, and Woods, which saves them $35 million, and then you run it back. He also said, without messing up the 2024 cap, then have a spending spree and regroup. So it sounds like Christopher is on the let's tank next year train, uh, try to run it back, but not spend a ton. Maybe I'm wrong about that, Christopher. You can clarify. Um, but nonetheless, it sounds like Christopher, as many of us are on the train of you got to get rid of some of these dead weight guys that are on the roster. And absolutely, that's going to be the case. Cunningham for sure gone. I can tell you that with 99.999% certainty talking to people in in the press corps and in the locker room, I'm exorbitantly confident that Zach Cunningham is no longer a Tennessee Titan. But Dupree, this one I don't have any inf insider information on, but I am very confident that he is not going to be a Titan next year. Listen, he's one of the sneaky worst decisions that John Robinson ended up making for this team. It was a really, really bad decision to pay him as much as they did. They got two years out of him so far, and I think it will ultimately just be two years. And they paid him something upwards of $50 million and around that ballpark, I believe. And they got very minimal playing time and pretty minimal production in terms of sacks and pressures. He didn't do a whole lot. There were, there were times, there were flashes when he was on the field, and you could tell, ah, oh, man, when this guy's healthy, he's a stud. That's what we paid for. But they were very few and far between. And he just couldn't stay on the field and, and have that high level production enough to justify him being on the team. I think that he will be a cut for sure because that's a big chunk of money that will get freed up. I think I think Robert Woods also, like Christopher points out, is going to be a guy that they have to let go simply because they're paying him north of $10 million and he's not a very good wide receiver at this point. I mean, the Titans didn't have a whole lot of help around him during the year. There was a lot of the season in which he was wide receiver one, and that was all fine and good, but he wasn't very good at it. He was dropping passes. He was unable to create any separation in man coverage. It was really only against zone that he found any success, and it was very intermediate success. He, I think, had just north of 500 receiving yards on the season. He may, I know that going into last night's game against the Jaguars, he was looking to surpass that and get into the 500 plus range. I'm not even sure that he did, um, but that's how that's how lackluster his season was. And for reference, the Titans with AJ Brown and Corey Davis for the past three seasons before this, those guys had 1000 or around 1000 yard receiving seasons every single year. So he's, he's a guy that's got to go. There's a handful of other guys that I think go. I think Lawan also goes. That's not an uncommon opinion. Um, if he does come back, it will be on a very sweetheart deal, I think, and it will be out of desperation simply because the Titans have so many offensive linemen positions to change. They're going to have to with him. But yeah, that's Christopher is a great point. It's a topic that I'll probably be writing on in the coming weeks. It's a topic that I'll definitely be speaking on in the coming weeks, just about who the Titans need to keep and who they need to save. They have a ton of free agents this year. I can just pull up real quick the list of free agents that they have to sort through. And they have, thanks to John Robinson's fantastic 2019 NFL draft, they have a big list of guys that are on their rookie deal up for their first extension. 
and they're going to have to make some tough decisions. They already have AJ Brown off the books for better or for worse. So that's one less thing they have to consider, but here's the full list. And I can't even fit it on, on one page of my monitor. I have to scroll down. You've got Austin Hooper, Jeff Swaim, AJ Moore, Lonnie Johnson, Morgan Cox, Demarcus Walker, Dontrell Hilliard, Dylan Cole, Trenton Cannon, Terrence Mitchell, Mario Edwards, Corey Levin, Joe Jones, Andrew Adams, LaRaven Clark, Deshaun Hand, Josh Kalou, and Nate Davis, all as unrestricted free agents. You also have David Long and Dennis Daly in that unrestricted free agent category. And then as restricted free agents, you have Tier Tart, Nick Westbrook-Akine, Cody Hollister, and Aaron Brewer, uh, and Naquan Jones as restricted free agents. That's a lot of guys that are, are there's no way all these guys are back, right? They're not all on massive contracts, but you have guys like, you know, guys like Hooper that if he comes back, he's going to demand a chunk of change. Um, if Demarcus Walker comes back, you're going to have to pay him more than you did this year because he played quite well in limited action this year. Tier Tart, you know, he's a restricted free agent, so you'd imagine the Titans keep him, but he's going to want the bag because he's had a fantastic year, definitely the best year of his career. You got a guy in Jeffrey Simmons who, after his rookie contract this year, they can, you know, get his fifth year option because he was a first year, or first round player, rather. But he's going to want an extension. We've been talking about it since last offseason. They're going to extend him this upcoming offseason. And I think it's going to be one of the very first orders of business for the new GM. Because, listen, no GM is going to come into this organization. Look at what happened to John Robinson. Look at how clearly and obviously and closely tied the A.J. Brown decision to let him walk and, and go to Philly in a trade in return for draft capital. You know, and how regardless of what ownership says that absolutely had to have played a role in the decision to let him go. He's not going to look at that and that be the, the big narrative headline John Robinson fired after releasing AJ Brown and then make his first order of business to let the other guy from that draft class, who is the really heart and soul of the franchise on the other side of the ball in Jeffrey Simmons, just let him go as well. Trade him away. Let him walk. Like it's not happening. It's not happening. Even if what they pay him is an overpay, even if he's not worth what they end up having to give him in a contract, it does not matter. He's going to sign him back because he's not a moron. Whoever the new GM is, he's not a moron. And he knows it's best for his public image on his, you know, first day or first couple of days. You know, you don't want to get off on the wrong foot with the ownership, the coaches, the 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 fan base in making a move like that it's not going to happen so that guy's going to be back you also have you know a handful of guys like nate davis on the offensive line he's a guard he's going to demand a pretty significant you know market share i think if if they bring him back that'll be a significant chunk of change so they've got a lot of guys on this list that may or may not be back and, and they're going to just by necessity in the fact that they don't have a ton of free cap space they're going to have to get rid of quite a few of them i think all right, let's see um, a couple more questions and then we'll get back to our poll questions here. AE asks, and look at their division, or excuse me, look at their schedule next season and with it probably, and with probably not many night games, they could win the division. If they love a guy, go get him. Um, I'm assuming this is in reference to quarterback. So uh, we, we will, AE, go through the, the Titans, the Titans schedule for next year. I can go ahead and do that right now because we do know now who the Titans will be playing 
in this upcoming season as a result of, we don't know when they're playing them. The schedule doesn't come out till March, but we do know who they play and, and whether they get these teams home or away. One of the upsides for the Titans in, in the sense that they lost the Jaguars and lost the division last night is the fact that because they came in second in the division, they do get the benefit of not having to play the other first place teams um, in other divisions in the two AFC divisions that they don't play all of the division. And then the one NFC division um, that they're allotted the, the equivalent division place uh, to them. So like there are two other AFC divisions in which they will play just the team that came in the same place as they did in the AFC South. And then one NFC division that is that way. And because they came in second, they get the second place teams, not the first place teams like they've had for two years. Now the Jaguars will get those guys. So the Titans will be getting aside from the Colts, the Texans and the Jaguars who they will get once at home and once away. We all know this. If you don't go read a basic article on how an NFL schedule works, they will get each of their division teams at home and away. That's six of the games. The other 11 games at home, they will have uh, the AFC teams will have one additional home game next year. So they'll be on the nine home game schedule next season. It alternates NFC, AFC every other year. They get the Ravens and the Bengals, the Falcons, the Panthers, the Seahawks, and the Chargers at home. And then away, they get the Browns, the Saints, the Steelers, the Buccaneers, and the Dolphins. So they, they avoid some really massive names on there. They would have, if they'd come in first place, had to see the 49ers. They would have had to see the Chiefs. They would have had to see the Bills. Um, the only first place teams in their divisions this season that they'll have to face are the Buccaneers, who came in first in the worst division in football. And the Bengals, who uh, are a team that has owned the Titans as of late. And that might, you know, early, early right now, a lot can change. But I'd say as of right now, that's easily the hardest game on their schedule. Also, figure figure out the injuries. Wonder if Rabel keeps downing. Dupree is an eight to four guy. So that's in reference to that's in reference to Mike Frabel talking about having some guys. Uh, I believe two weeks ago when we were talking to him in uh, Nissan Stadium after the, the Titans lost to the Texans. We asked him about if he has any guys that he thinks are eight to four guys as in 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. as in not putting in work outside the facility, outside of practice, outside of team meetings. And he said that he didn't know and that there was some suspicion is what he alluded to as to whether or not he had some guys that were eight to four. Now, I've reported on this show and on Twitter as well that one of those guys, I, again, I can confirm this, is is that Cunningham. And that's one of the big reasons he's not going to be back next year. I think Dupree might be one of those guys. In talking to him this year, I didn't really get the impression that was the case, but maybe I, I think with him, it's much less the effort he put in outside of the game and and outside of the the practices rather, and and much more how available he was, which was not very. So I'd say that's more the case with him. If Rabel keeps downing, it, it's going to be a nightmare. The problem is, I'm going to write an article on this this week, I believe, and the the basic headline that I have so far is the case to keep Todd Downing and why the case against him is so much stronger. And it's basically acknowledging the things about Todd Downing, the situation he was in this season, the things that he did for this team this season that I could totally see this Titans coaching staff and in particular, Mike Vrabel pointing to as you know, a reason either to, proved to themselves or proved to other coaches or proved ownership or proved to the fans pointing to these things and saying, this is why we decided to keep Todd Downing around. He could, I think rather 
inequivalently compare Todd Downing after this season to what Shane Bowen, the defensive coordinator, uh, the, the hot water that he was in after his first year as coordinator when the Titans defense really fell apart that year. And then the next season, they really gutted the defensive personnel, brought in a ton of new players, and suddenly the defense was elite. And you saw what they did last year, and they were fantastic. And suddenly, you know, he was Mike Vrabel's priors were confirmed in the sense that, hey, here's a guy that I stuck with, I believed in. I thought that this had much more to do with the personnel situation, the toolbox that he was coordinating with, than it did with him and his inability to coordinate. And he was proven right in that way with Shane Bowen, and that was rightfully so. Many of us were wrong about Shane Bowen in that capacity. I don't think it's equivalent for Todd Downing. I think that Todd Downing has shown way more um, definitively negative things that you can point directly to him and say, hey, not things that you're like, maybe this has to do with personnel. Maybe it has to do with coaching. We don't know. Like There were a handful of things throughout the season where you're like, yeah, that is coaching 1,000%. That has to do with Todd Downing, and it's a bad thing. It's a bad, bad thing that Todd Downing is doing or continues to do. It's stuff like that that I'll be talking about in the article that is, I think, the the reasons why, even though there is a bad, I think, or worse argument to be made, stick with Todd Downing. Don't be so rash. Don't let him go. See what he can do with a much better toolbox of players that he will hopefully have next year. There needs to be a much better, mentally stronger attitude from Mike Vrabel in going and, and and getting rid of him and finding somebody new or elevating Tim Kelly, the, the passing game coordinator, whoever it may be, somebody else, anybody else, please. And that needs to be done at the beginning of the offseason cycle. I've seen some people on Twitter talking about how if, hey, if, if Todd Downing still has a job come Monday, we got a serious problem and people need to get lost man and if that's if that's the case if you think that by monday is the requirement for todd downing to be fired or else you've lost all faith in this titans coaching staff and uh and uh ownership then then i think you need a little patience the offseason just began they're gonna be doing exit interviews and stuff the, the point is if if he's not fired by monday there's still a very good chance he's gonna be fired it just may take a week or two so we will see on that i am now joined by the way Better late than never, fashionably late. Producer JT, JT, how are you? Welcome in on this Sunday evening live show. Hello, I was I was listening to the live stream as I was questionably going above maybe the speed limit on my way home. To questionably get here. above and maybe. I love all those maybe. qualifying terms um, you used on my way home here to join this live stream and this podcast here. But I'm here now, so. Welcome. I'm in. sure Welcome everybody's in. so excited that I'm finally here. So yes, that well, yeah. If <laughs> if we see everybody leave suddenly, we'll understand why that's the case. Um, but <laughs> we're we're glad you're here, and I'm and I'm going through some of the comments and questions here. Um, like Christopher here says for you, JT, speed limits a suggestion. It is. Uh, it really is. Yeah, you're you you two are built the same way in that capacity. But <laughs> the next question here is. If the Titans don't go quarterback in the first round of the 2023 NFL draft, they should draft a blank. Now, this one was probably the easiest and most obvious question in the poll. The uh, options were wide receiver, offensive tackle, cornerback, or other. Eighty, Almost 84% of you voted offensive tackle um, out of the 728 votes that we got. That's the clear and obvious choice. I think that that's what you have to do considering the state of this offensive line. 15.1% of you are just 
way too horny for offensive production. You are full blown 2023 NFL. And I can understand that, but you're in on the wide receiver at uh, the 11th spot. I don't think it's impossible, but I don't understand why you would do that when this offensive line is in such shambles. Uh, 0.8% of you voted cornerback. I'm going to assume that was a slip because that makes no sense. I think at 11 and then 0.5% of you said other. That's the easiest question on this poll, JT. They have to go get an offensive tackle. Whether or not they go get a quarterback, they have to get at least one tackle uh, unless they decide that they think Lawan's going to be okay enough to bring back on some kind of sweetheart deal. And I, again, very unlikely at this point. I think the next question in the poll was the Titans 2023 starting wide receivers should be blank. The options were Burks, a draft pick, and Kyle Phillips. Burks, a veteran that they add via trade or free agency, and Kyle Phillips. Burks and two new guys or other. The most common, and this one was pretty split actually, the most common selection by you all of the almost 700 voters was to go with Burks and Kyle Phillips and then get a veteran via trade or via free agency to fill in that role. 38.1% of people voted for that one. 35.3% right behind that voted for Burks, a draft pick in Kyle Phillips. And then 25.2% of you voted for Burks and two new players. I think Burks with two new players is wrong for a couple of reasons. One, that's a lot of capital, whether it's trade or money or draft capital, they're going to have to allocate to two new starting caliber NFL receivers. That seems foolish for that reason, because they don't have a ton of capital to just throw around willy nilly. But it also is foolish because I think it is quitting on Kyle Phillips way too early. We saw what he's capable of being when he's healthy and he just had an unhealthy first year. Now, if he's unhealthy again next year, then you change your perception. But I think that, the, you know, considering a guy that was didn't have injury issues throughout college, didn't seem to have injury issues all through camp and the preseason, and the beginning of the season, then suddenly just has a, a two you know, two or three bad injuries in a row. That's luck to me more than it is um, an indication of a guy that can't stay healthy. So let's just, let's keep our, our thoughts paused on that one. Let's pump the brakes a little bit on Kyle Phillips. I think that the distinction between veteran and draft is savvy by the voters actually, because of the fact that more of you barely voted for a veteran. That seems to be the easier choice because they don't have infinite draft picks. They only have four or five or six draft picks this year. Um, the, the number on the top of my head, I believe it's five. It could be six. I'm not positive. They don't have a ton. And I think they, they, have, they have five. currently. I think it's five. Think, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Five sounds right. Uh, as of right now, no, they fourth may get, and no sixth. I believe right. They, that may, saying. that, that may get bolstered by comp picks, which we'll talk about in the coming days. Um, and they, they could, you know, trade to get more picks in this draft. They could trade to get less picks in this draft. But the point is, they don't have a ton of picks to go around and going to get a starting caliber receiver with one of those picks seems less likely than going to get a veteran. The problem I have to point out and not to be the bearer of bad news, but the problem is the market and I'm going to pull up the list. I actually, I actually have it. it pulled up. Right you have, here, you have, I, the yeah, wide receiver free agent I have market. the free agent market pulled up yeah, right so, here. And this is exactly what I need JT because the, the guys available, it is not, this has got to be the, this has gotta be the worst free agent wide receiver market in years. JT, read us the list of guys. So yeah, I'm just going to go down the list. It's not exactly how I'd rank them, but it's just, uh, I'm using uh, uh spot rack. I think is what Spotrack. the website yeah. spot track. Um, yeah. I'm using them here and they don't have it in any real order, but just going down the list here, we have Nelson Aguilar, Sterling Shepard, DJ Chark, 
Randall Cobb, Marvin Jones, Julio Jones, who we're not bringing back, so don't worry about that. <laughs> Byron Pringle, Alan, Alan Lazard, Jacoby Myers, Juju Smith-Schuster, Jarvis Landry. And then if you go down the list, you have an, some other notable people like, um, let's see, Nikhil Harry, Mac Hollins, Jameson Crowder. The list just gets more and yes, more the, of guys. The, list, the yeah. list is entirely guys that are, at best, fringe starting wide receivers in the NFL. And that's at best. And I don't know if anyone's paying attention to the Titans wide receiver room and wide receiver situation, but it doesn't typically bring out the best in all the players that come through there. I mean, a perfect example is AJ Brown leaving. And then in his first season in Philadelphia today, congrats to AJ Brown, by the way, setting the Eagles franchise record for receiving yards in a single season. I believe he got North of 1500, which is, a full 500 more receiving yards than he ever had in Tennessee, despite being the clear and obvious wide receiver one in his time here. So that's kind of a fitting and poetic and tragically painful. I'm sure for Titans fans, the the next question here that I want us to discuss the next poll question got 655 votes. And the question was the Titans 2023 starting cornerbacks Cornerback, let me rephrase that because I forgot how plurals work. The <laughs> Titans 2023 starting cornerbacks should be blank. The overwhelming favorite is, I think, the most conservative and probably most accurate choice. It's that they just run it back with Fulton, McCreary, and Molden, hopefully all healthy and ready to go. 55.1% of you voted that. I think that that is partially a result of the fact that on paper, those three guys should be a starting caliber cornerback room, but also... Those are three guys that are at least serviceable when healthy. And we're realizing as we go here, the Titans have a handful of needs. They're not super cap rich. They're not super draft pick rich. They're going to have to be frugal in some areas, and they're going to have to make do with what they got in some areas. And cornerback feels like, to me, again, on day one of the, the postseason here, or the offseason rather, I think that that is going to be one of the spots that they're going to have to sit back and relax on and roll roll with what they've got. You know, they, they've got guys that are, if healthy, serviceable starters. Wouldn't shock me at all if they went and got a cheap veteran or two to add for depth, but again, not guys you'd want to be starters. They may even go and, you know, get a guy via the draft in like the fourth or fifth or sixth round. Um, and, you know, you can sometimes see that guy hit. They could I'm certainly probably going to go in undrafted free agent market and, and get a couple of UDFAs that they can just, I guess, hope become Trey Avery's like they found this past year, and that'll allow them to have a guy or two that could start in a pinch. But again, none of these guys that are like clear and obvious starting caliber cornerbacks. I think that Fulton, McCreary, and Molden are the clear option. The second most voted on this poll, by the way, 33% of you said go with Fulton and McCreary and get somebody new. Don't go with Molden. I think that's kind of ridiculous, guys. We're talking about Elijah Molden, who didn't have injury issues, injury questions in his college play. And then his first season in the NFL last year. Do I need to remind you that he was one of, if not the best contributor in his rookie year out of that dreadful draft class? Like he played all year long. He didn't miss for injury. That was kind of his thing and his ability to just lock down that slot corner spot in terms of, you know, having a guy available each and every week as well as played pretty well. He was pretty promising in his rookie year. PFF wise, he was above average for the rookie class for sure. That's not something I think you should take for granted and forget so quickly because of, again, a single season this year, his first such season where injuries just kept him off the field all year long. 
I don't think that's the expectation going forward. If it happens again next year, then yeah, we can adjust our expectations. But for now, I think that he's going to be back and be a contributor like he was in his first year and frankly, get better and develop like most players do. I think that's the plan. I think that's what he will do. And, but more importantly, I think that's what the Titans ownership front office coaching staff plan to do with this group. Next question is should the Titans bring back Austin Hooper in 2023? Now, JT, this one's fascinating to me. I've for a couple of weeks been on the, yeah, I think you should train. Now the results here, the options I gave were yes, no. And only if he's cheap. So essentially a, uh, if you get a sweetheart deal on him, cause he has no other prospects with other teams as a free agent, he can come back. Um, the majority of people said only if he's cheap, 50% of you, 42.4% of you. And I'm with this 42.4% JT said, yes, they should bring him back in 2023. I think that they should too. Now, again, that's contingent on the price tag. If he goes somewhere that's going to pay him $10 million, then fine, go like you don't want to pay that. But if you can get him again for six, seven, eight million a year, or get maybe a two or three year deal with him that allows you to, you know, spread that hit out. That's what I think you should do. He took a while to start to gel with this offense for sure. He was a waste of a move for the first six, seven games of the year. But after the buy and after he got his sea legs with this team and in this offense, he became a guy that was actually really serviceable and was actually a, a guy that was one of, if not the primary receiving target for Ryan Tannehill and, and company, whoever was playing quarterback at the time he started to eat there for a little bit. And he was on a couple of Sundays, the number one receiver that the Titans had, which is both a reflection on him as a guy that really panned out as a receiving target at tight end. And also a reflection on the Titans wide receiver room is a disaster. But I think that you absolutely bring him up, bring him back at or around the same price tag. And I think that most of you got that one right in the poll, but again, we'll see. Maybe they do you uh, think maybe that um, if they were to, do you think Austin Hooper this year, because of course you you we have and we've been banging this drum. You have another tight end that you've drafted in Chigakonkwo. Promised, that's right. Exactly. Who made me a lot of money this week? By the way, he did. Um, yeah, had to say that JT, on here. <laughs> golden golden ticket winner this week. He said Chig first touchdown against the Jags was the golden ticket. And only touchdown. He bet it, so and he there would. You go. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you yeah. think? Do you think Austin Hooper compliments Chig if he were to come back? Do you think he worked in a way that? Chig got some of those, got a lot of his looks this year because uh, he was out there with him. Or do you think if they brought Austin Hooper back, he might maybe kind of put a rut in Chig's development and what he we know he can be? It, it, now, this also could be depending on who they bring in, if they bring someone else in for Todd Downing here. Um, but do you think he might be a hindrance to Chig's development? It's a fair question. Ultimately, I'm with Christopher here. <laughs> Bring back Cooper and Shig and tie Swaim to a boat anchor and drop it. Christopher, I think you're, you're spot fair. on. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, here's the thing about Swaim is if they get rid of him, which I think that they will, but even if they don't, or even if they, even when they do, um, I, they're going to replace him with another guy that's like Jeff Swaim. Like that's that's how it's going to have to be because this team loves to, even when they have good offensive line, play they love to have tight ends that are true you know linemen light who have the ability to block like a lineman and to do primarily blocking responsibilities on the field in the run game and so they're going to have a guy that's like Swaim if it's not Swaim that being said they can do much better than Jeff Swaim I think with Chig and Hooper uh, I don't think that that 
Hooper took away from Chig's production. Um, he definitely, I think, stole some snaps from him early on, but that was because he was a veteran and, and Chig was learning. Um, as a rookie, they seemed pretty balanced. I'd have to go check here in the last couple of games what their snap counts looked like, but they seemingly were both on the field quite a bit and both on the field much more than Jeff Swaim, which is what is mostly important to me. But I do think that having them both doesn't necessarily stunt Chig's development or keep him off the field because it's with the Tennessee Titans. With another team that's more likely to run in 11 personnel uh, as their base package, yeah, okay, you're not going to have two tight ends on the field very often. But with the Titans, who love to run two tight ends, they love to go heavy jumbo 12-man packages all the time. You can get both of those guys on the field, and they can both be blocking and pass catching threats that's what you need you need dual threat guys that's why guys like Rob Gronkowski are the best tight ends ever because he was literally Jeff Swaim and his ability to block except better as a blocker than Jeff Swaim had that body type and he also was (laughs) at any given time one of the best if not the best receivers on the field that's what makes you a great tight end and that's what I think these guys like Chig Chig's a more slender guy Austin Hooper is built bigger he should be able to block serviceably and be that dual threat with Chig. He just needs some more weight to put on. And if he does that, I think that he will be one of those threats. So that's, that's my, that's my two cents on that. The next question that I asked JT was, should the Titans bring back David Long jr. In 2023. Now this one was not split at all. 82% of people said yes. Only 16.3% said only if he's cheap and a mere 1.5% people said that no they should not so out of the 700 ish votes that we got uh only uh only about uh you know a 11 12 of you quick math uh said that that he should not be brought back this is absolutely the correct take this is a guy that before he got injured at the end of the season david long jr had become quietly a top a, a bona fide top five inside linebacker in the nfl he flew around like crazy and he could do it all in the run blocking in in coverage in pass protection he was the best all around linebacker the titans had and again you could not this you know in week 16 or week 12 13 14 this year you could not point to another five inside linebackers in the league that were better than david long jr he was absolutely up there at the very top and was going pretty underrated despite how big an impact he had on this Titans defense and their defensive efforts. He's a guy they should definitely bring back. He's got some injury concern two years in a row now that he's not been able to finish out the year um, because of a or finish out the majority of the end of the year. I think he came back last year. Could be wrong about that. Either way, he's not been able to finish the ends of these past two seasons because of soft tissue injuries. That's a concern. Um, I think that you definitely don't want to like set the market on the inside linebacker and signing him. But if you can get him at a reasonable deal, multi-year deal, all all I know is if you lose him at at linebacker, you suddenly are really, really, really in need. The cab, the cabinet is very bare. um, If you lose him and Cunningham and now the best you have to roll out, there are Dylan Cole, who's a restrict, who's a free agent. I believe unrestricted free agent, Monty Rice, who's on a rookie deal. Um, Joe Jones and Dr. Gibby, Jack Gibbons. Like you don't want that to be your front line for linebackers, man. You need a David long in there. You need that stud. So I think that that's the right choice. Absolutely. The next question was the Titans kicker in 2023 will be blank. 
Now, this one, I think, is a sneaky big one, and it's something that for a couple of years now, the Titans have very passively and very poorly attempted to address, but they've frankly not really been able to. Randy Bullock, to his credit, has been the best, most reliable kicker that the Titans have had the past two seasons. Um, that that the, the, the one of the best kickers they'd had since Ryan Suckup, the best kicker they'd had since Ryan Suckup. They were in the desert there for a long while with the kicker situation, and that really kept them really kept them from, uh, you know, excelling as a, a team on special teams that could get three points when they wanted it. Now they have Randy Bullock. And once they're inside the 45 yard line and not in that danger, Randy zone between 45 and 49 yards, which he just seemingly cannot hit from, they were getting three points when they wanted it, but he was just, he just is very limited with his leg. We saw him hit his first kick of over 50 yards of the entire season last week and he'd only attempted one before then so yeah like round of applause for Randy Bullock I guess <laughs> but the fact that they didn't even let you attempt them all year is a testament to the fact that you can't make them man your leg's not very strong I was joking with friends that I was watching the Titans game with last night when he made that 51 yard field goal we were wishing out loud that it was on NBC so that you got the good from number like you know 51 yard field goal made good from 63 because we were pretty confident it was going to say uh, Randy Bullock kick from 51 yards good good from 51 yards like <laughs> I, think, I think that's the most he can put on there in terms of the sauce but you need a new guy 38.1 percent of you voted that he will probably be back next year i'd say that's probably the most likely scenario it's not the best scenario you have to be able to go out there and find a kicker draft kicker if you have to that the market's allows not you too terribly though it's not too bad either like there there, there, there are guys some, a, there's some, up the list yeah i have it it's so you got mason crosby robbie gold matt prater greg zerline greg the leg of course matt gay greg joseph joey sly brett maher joey sly didn't have a great day today neither did brett maher but mm -hmm. i digress there are options out there if you want that kicker that can make uh more confidently from that upper 40s yeah, I, I agree, and that's why I, I think that they probably will go get a guy, whether it's a rookie or a guy in free agency. Uh, Chris Bird, oh, there you go. Chris fixed his name. Good for Chris. He said, uh, oh, we're fighting here, aren't we? Thank you, JT. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, I was trying to do your job. <laughs> Chris Bird, he says, uh, Caleb Shudak, bringing up the question of Caleb. He's the guy last year, Chris, that was who the Titans wanted to be that guy to come in and supersede Randy Bullock. And he wasn't able to, because he got hurt. He looked great all through camp. Then he got hurt. Then he came back for one game in which Randy Bullock was hurt and he looked bad. And so they cut him. So he's, I believe now on the Titans practice squad, or at least was after he got cut after that bad game, he looked like he'd lost all his confidence and his accuracy and just was not a very good, good kicker. Um, if he can get back to the form that he was in for camp and the preseason, or where I think he was hurt before then, but in camp when we saw him, then yeah, he can be that guy. I think he's got a monster leg. He looked really good. He looked clearly better than Randy Bullock, but if he can't get back to that guy and we know with guys who are kickers, they can take a long time. I mean, you saw Ryan Suckup be a stud for the Titans, then get hurt, have a surgery, have a season or two where he was bad enough for the Titans to decide to move on from him. And then they're in the desert kicker wise and he goes to Tampa Bay and gets a ring and has been lights out ever since they picked him up like they just it takes time for these things kickers can get into funks a lot like golfers can just have a bad run that's why I think that you have to give Caleb Shudak some time only 18% of people picked Caleb Shudak as their option on this poll 44% of folks said that it should be somebody new and that's the leading 
answer in the poll with almost 700 votes. I think that is the correct answer. They should get somebody new who it is. I don't know. It'll probably be somebody that we've not seen before. Maybe it's one of the older guys in free agency, but I'd imagine this coaching staff, the way that they typically roll, they're probably going to try to find a guy in undrafted free agency or maybe even draft a really, really late guy in the sixth or seventh round to come in and be that guy. But with kickers, it's so hard to to see. And and Chris brings up here that Shudak was lighting it up at training camp. Yeah, Chris, he was. I was there. I saw it. And then he got hurt, and, and it was never the same since then. So we will have to see if if that is, is a thing. JT, did you have another question thrown up on here when I was talking? Yeah, so AE brought up, do you think that maybe, uh, at least AE thinks that maybe uh, Vrabel should look into firing Ackerman as well? Yeah, so here's the thing, A.E., about Ackerman. I, I I agree that I think he should be fired. He, I think it's much more likely that Todd Downing gets fired than Fred Ackerman. I could see him being a guy that Vrabel hangs on to. I could see Vrabel being the kind of guy that's like, I don't really need somebody who's a savant as my special teams coach. I just need a guy to exist there, and I'll kind of handle things. I don't know that to be the fact of the matter, but I could see that being the case. With Ackerman, the argument against him, and it's a strong one, and I think it's the correct one, is that I don't think any coach in the past two or three years with the Titans has has under underperformed with so much resources given to them. Like it feels like every single offseason and early on in the season, you see the Titans make these moves in waiver claims or free agent pickups or drafting guys specifically because of their special needs, special, special needs. That's awful because of their special teams capabilities. And uh, maybe that's a 40 and slip about Craig Ackerman. I don't know. I'm not super, (laughs) I'm not super fond of him as a coach. I don't think he really brings much to the table. I'm not fond of him when he's at the podium. Um, But the argument is he's, getting resources like every week, every August and September and October, and he's just not achieving much with them. Um, I, I think that, uh, you, you know, you, you see guys that come in at the specialty positions like kicker and punter, you get Ryan Stonehouse in and and you have Brett Kern for a while. And that's the kind of thing that can cover up for a guy like a, a guy like Ackerman. And, you know, he can point to, well, I've got this element of it humming. Um, but the rest of it, the the basic special teams operations, the return game, um, it's just it, it's been bottom of the league for a while now. And, and it's not because they've neglected it from a team building standpoint. It's because either the players just suck or I think more likely Craig, Craig Ackerman's just not a very good coach and, and probably should be let go. Now, again, AE, the point that I'm making here is while I think he should be let go. If you made me guess today, he probably isn't let go, but that doesn't change the fact that he should be. And I think that fans should be frustrated if he's not. That's my opinion on the matter. Two more questions that we asked in these polls before we move on and wrap up the show. Uh, I asked Malik Willis, question mark, just just asking about Malik, where we where we where we are right now on Malik. What's the what's the vibe check on him? Um. 52% of you said that he will end up just being a third string guy next year, that he'll be behind Josh Dobbs or somebody else, probably behind Tannehill, um, and, and will be a third stringer. I think that's probably the most likely outcome right now. 28% of you, the second most popular vote was second stringer. I'd say that's very optimistic. Again, I've on this show been very vocal about the fact that I think you should not give up on Malik Willis yet, not because I think he's going to pan out, but because I think he's the kind of prospect that needs at least two years 
to to give a fair NFL evaluation on them. And that being said, I still think that next year, unless he makes a dramatic freshman to sophomore leap in his ability, which is possible. And listen, we I mean, we're going to have his personal quarterback coach, Sean McAvoy, on the show a number of times in the coming months to talk about him and the upcoming QB class. And he's awesome. Um, so, you know, maybe he he can whip him into shape and, and we see a significant improvement year to year. That being said, I wouldn't hold your breath on it. I think that he, like we've been saying since he was drafted, since before he was drafted, when we were just evaluating him as a prospect on this show back in March, this is a guy that's more likely than not going to be a bust, but he has potential to be a star. And so that's what you take the risk in the draft for, is that you're you're taking the risk on his high-end raw traits, his arm talent, his pocket mobility, his um, ability to run downfield, like all of those things. You just you rolled the dice on that, but you're still rolling the dice. So it's not that likely. Um, the other options were that he won't even make the 53-man roster. 14.7% of you said that. And then 5.1% of you said that he's gone before training camp. Now, this is the truly outrageous answer. The idea that anybody thinks that Malik's going to be gone before training camp is either... <laughs> is either uninformed rage, personal rage that they have in their heart, or it's somebody that thinks that Mike Vrabel has a personal vendetta against, um, against the, the development of Malik Willis. I don't see that necessarily being the, the case. I don't think that he's super fond of Malik Willis, and I don't think he's making Malik Willis a big part of his future plans for this team. But I don't think he's the kind of guy. I mean, again, Vrabel's very smart. I do not think he's the kind of person to go and just get rid of a guy in Malik Willis that you can have develop um, and, and potentially become a valuable player in this next season. I think that that was always, again, the evaluation of him. He needed multiple years. So I don't think that they'll be out on him just yet. By the way, breaking mid-show here, the Texans have fired their coach, Lovey Smith. So we'll cover that. Thank you, AE, for the, the heads up getting the notifications right now. This one's not shocking at all. I love that that Lovey Smith's parting gift for the city of Houston because he, I mean, listen, he came into this week knowing he was going to get fired. He probably knew he was going to get fired after one year when he signed up to be the coach last year. His parting gift to the city of Houston today is, hey, you know that you guys have been in the driver's seat for the first overall draft pick literally all season, start to finish, right? Like for the past three, four months of your lives. This has been a guaranteed thing for you. You can go and get your quarterback of choice with the first overall pick in the 2023 draft. What if crazy thought, what if we law uh, went and won against the Colts in the last game and cost ourselves that number one overall pick? What if we did that? What if for no okay, reason at all, still, we mount the pulling for Chicago. <laughs> exactly. He <has> a, <laughs> he's a he sleeper. Cell. A Chicago he's a sleeper. cell. he is. He's Chicago and in his heart. Maybe. I mean, I don't know, but the idea that he, for no reason whatsoever mounts a fourth quarter, comeback, ties the game with a touchdown. And then instead of kicking the field goal to tie, it goes for two to win the game. Hilarious hilarious and it keeps the Texans from getting that first overall spot and uh, it didn't cost him his job because again his job was already in the tank to begin with but he is before the day is even over he is already done as a one-and-done coach in Houston so Houston will be looking for their new quarterback and a new head coach next year and they could look very different depending on who those guys are the last question on this poll was Caleb Farley question mark what, what do we think this is not the most pressing thing but we were talking about the Titans cornerback room and some concern over their, you know, dead last in the league 
receiving defense this past year, a uh, passing defense this past year. Caleb Farley's a guy who is the ultimate John Robinson, massive potential ignoring injury concerns guy. Um, he is a guy that has now recently undergone his second back surgery, as well as the fact that he's had two massive knee surgeries on ACLs on both knees. Um, I asked the same criteria of questions. Is he gone before training camp? Will he make the 53 man roster? Will he become a backup or a bust or will he develop into a good player? <laughs> uh, 44% of people I think have the correct answer here in the sense that he will make the 53 man roster, but be a perennial backup or ultimately just a bust. 22.8% of you said that he develops into a good player. I think that's pretty wishful thinking. 15.5% of you said that he's gone before training camp even begins, which would be aggressive, but frankly wouldn't shock me with him. We'll just have to see how his recovery goes. And then 17.6% of you said that he won't even make the 53-man roster. Possible. That, that, that would be him coming in as one of the 90 best guys on the roster at the beginning of camp and then not making the cut after a, a month or so in camp of battling it out with other cornerbacks. If the Titans go and get more cornerbacks, like we think they might this, this upcoming offseason, if they choose to spend some more capital on it than we expect, he's going to be on the chopping block for sure. He's going to have to be because they, they can't afford to keep every cornerback under the sun. So those are my questions, and I'm, I'm very excited that they got as much play as they did. If you still want to vote on them, uh, you can go and do that. They're still open for the next two days. And then I will bookmark these polls and we'll come back to it closer to draft time. And I think it'll be really funny. There's no way the consensus on all of these questions is even remotely the same come draft time. Um, so let's see how the next two or three months can warp everybody's brain. JT, we're still live here. And that was the that was the main portion of the show today was going through those questions. But a handful of other things to go through. Decided to keep today's show kind of light, kind of different from our typical post-game show because I don't think Titans fans really want to talk all that much about the Titans game itself from Saturday night. My only point that I'll that I'll say in conclusion there is that it felt like the Titans lost kind of in the same manner that they uh, they finished their season, kind of in the same manner that they began their season and kind of played throughout the season. They were a very consistent team this year in the sense that they never stayed healthy. They never figured anything out on offense. And they more often than not shot themselves in the foot and cost themselves games. We saw that with Randy Bullock's inability to kick a field goal in the first game of the year to win against the Giants. And then we saw that with the, the Titans inability to protect Josh Dobbs at all, even with added help at tight end and swing tackles coming in um, and, and keep him from getting strip sacked on that uh, not final game of the play or final play of the game, but the final uh, scoring play of the game when the Jaguars got the strip sack fumble to the point of that play, by the way, JT, I will say that I think that the NFL clearly wanted the Jaguars to win that game because the, the matter in which they reviewed that so quickly, I mean, they, they come back and said it had been reviewed in New York, the referees did, and it was an official call before the broadcast was even able to show a replay. That's how quickly this review took place, which is ridiculous and stupid, but I think also pretty evident and, and obvious of the fact that they just didn't they didn't want the Titans to to move on, man. And and they, you know, had a ruling on the field that they it was it was close. Don't get me wrong, very close. It would have taken some serious reviewing, but you go and you look at the ball and the whole point of the rule is if the ball is moving forward at all and 
the player has possession of the ball with it moving forward at all, then it is considered an incomplete pass, not a fumble. You go look at the video. Josh Dobbs was absolutely moving the ball forward while still in possession of the ball for a, a you know four or five or six frames of the video before his arm is hit and before he loses contact with the ball. And I think a general rule of thumb of, of mine that, that I don't understand with the referees in this circumstance, because it seems to be the case typically is if you've got a play in which you're not sure whether it's an incomplete pass or a strip sack fumble, maybe look at how far down the field the ball went. And that ball went really far down the field, man. Like, I don't I don't think a fumble can be propelled forward by the quarterback's arm 10 to 15 yards. And yet this one was. That's that's what happened. And they immediately rule it a turnover and they give the Jags the points. And you just knew watching the game, if you were covering the Titans like I was or a fan of the Titans, you just knew in the in that moment, uh, this game's over. They 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 can't. They cannot, they cannot come back from this, um, and they couldn't, and it was a bummer because they controlled the game the way that they wanted to control it the entirety of the game until the very last, really, five minutes of the fourth quarter in which things fell apart. Clarence seems to uh, uh, agree there, JT, that that the, the well, he, he actually, he's not agreeing. Uh, he, he, he thinks it was a fumble. Clarence, I would, I would, I would recommend you go and watch the video again. The entire point is his arm is not, he can't have lost possession of the ball until at the very least his arm is touched, right? Like the fumble has to be caused by the defender's hand and the defender's hand doesn't even make contact with Josh, Josh Dobbs's arm until that ball is already traveling forward. Now he'd not come over his head with the ball in the way that you, you see most passes, but the ball was definitively moving forward refs didn't care whatever um clarence says he looks at the tape also i'd say look closer because uh, i think that you're wrong ae said uh what other head coach do you think head coaches do you think are fired great question lovey smith was the most obvious one but there's a handful of others i'll uh, i'll go ahead and go to draft kings's list of odds for head coach firings the the other one that's on the top of my head right out of the gate is Cliff Kingsbury is dead. There's no so way that he sticks around. I would yeah, put the, a King's ransom on that to say Kingsbury that ransom is, on yes. uh, <laughs> to say he is not uh, around. Again, yeah, he's another. done. He, he's done. Uh, you've already had three fired this season. So you had Matt rule, Frank Reich and Nate Hackett all fired. And we've now had Lovey Smith. That's four. It's crazy to me, JT, that every single year without fail, even when you think that players or excuse me, teams get their coach of the future, and things like, okay, p- things are going to settle down here. Like, there's no way there's a handful of openings. Every year, there is five to seven coach openings every single year, um, which is a lot out of 32 teams. Like, the, you know, a sixth of the league gets a new coach every year. So if you're a team like the Titans with a Vrabel at head coach, you hang on to that guy forever and ever and ever and ever, and you give him all the money, um, and, and you make him into a Mike Tomlin type that just sticks around forever as long as he wants to coach and as long as he's not senile. The other coaches that are on the chopping block here, besides Kingsbury, Brandon Staley was for a long time. He's not going to be anymore because they made the playoffs. Um, you know, I'm just looking up and down the list here. McDaniel's probably should, but he won't. <laughs> exactly. That's the other. That's the only other one that I think. Well, I'll tell you this much, JT. I think if the Cowboys go to Tampa Bay in the first round of the playoffs and they lose to a bad Tampa Bay team and once again don't even win a single playoff game. 
I, I totally could see crazy Uncle Jerry Jones deciding it's time to move on from Mike McCarthy. I could see that happening for sure. I wouldn't hate the move either because, frankly, I think that Mike, Mike McCarthy is not a very good head coach. Um, but they, you know, he's a guy that's been jonesing to potentially get on the Sean Payton train for decades at this point. He wanted them a, a long time ago. He wants them again now. That is something that's definitely in the front of his mind. And he's going to be looking for a reason not to move off of not to move off of uh, his current head coach. But I think that he's going to be looking for reasons to keep McCarthy around. I think that he's currently at default. McCarthy's probably gone unless in this postseason he gives me a reason to stick with him. And he's not going to say that right now, but that absolutely could be the case. A handful of other coaches that could be fired. Um, it's really sparse after that. I mean, like, well, especially I think you, you have McVeigh as AE pointed he, out. McVeigh might call it quits, so that's an opening as yes, well. Exactly. You could look at maybe as I'm looking at just kind of the draft order here and looking at the teams, you could maybe make a case for Dennis Allen um, in what he's done in his, this is his first year, I think, or second year. Dennis Allen uh, is his first year. Yeah. Yeah. So he's you could look the, at the what he's done um, in his first year here um, with the Saints. He, he wasn't great, <laughs> but that's another possibility. Um Besides that, yeah, I'm looking at this. You, there aren't a lot that may be outside of a surprise firing that I could see. Well, the other one that I think pops up, and Chris makes a good point here, Ron Rivera. He's another guy that could get fired. I don't think that they will, but I would say Riverboat Ron is a possibility. Um, he's he's the only other, only other guy I can think of that's potentially on the block. AE also points out that there's oftentimes a surprise as well, which there could totally be a surprise firing. That we don't see coming, but um, we'll, we'll just have to, to stick around and see who that could be. We could see, we could maybe see LaFleur as I give an update here as the Packers are currently losing with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. Here Did they finally, Lions. weren't they winning most of this game? What happened? They were. The Jared Goff drove them down the field and Aaron Rodgers came back uh, with about three and a half, four minutes on a clock and threw a deep ball to Christian Watson that got picked off. So now the oh, Lions are in the driver's seat right now on the Green Bay 21 with uh, about two minutes and change left. Great. Great. I love that. Um, I mean, that'd be crazy for them to fire the floor, but <laughs> it obviously could happen. You never know. Clarence points out that he's looked at the tape 20 times in slow-mo. That's a lot of times to look at the tape, Clarence, and he thinks it was a fumble. again, Clarence, you're just, you're wrong on this. Um, If you looked at it 20 times, then 20 times you should have seen the ball moving forward before he made contact with his arm. That's all you should have to know. But clearly Clarence works in the front office for the NFL. He was the guy that called down 10 seconds after the play happened to say confirmed. So shout out Clarence for that one. Um, AE says after the NFL did all they could to get the Packers in the playoffs. Yeah. Can we, can we just real quick dance on the grave of the NFL here on this one? We talked about this on the show a week or two ago. Why? Or not a week or two ago. Last week, this past week. What was the NFL thinking? What were they thinking besides just being way, way, way too horny for Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay brand and wanting the Packers in the playoffs, putting them in this position, putting them in this final game of the season that was in a position for us to already know the Lions couldn't make the playoffs. And that's what ended up happening. The the Rams Blew it against the Seahawks. I'm mad because I wanted the the Lions to make it into the playoffs so bad. They're so much more fun than either of these teams for my money. 
but it looks like it's going to probably be the Seahawks if the Lions can hang on. We never know. Um, we'll, we'll know by the end of this episode. Uh, Packers losing does not affect our strength of schedule in draft. Is it? No, it does not, Chris. The Titans are now locked in. They are the 11th pick in the draft. They'll be picking right behind the Saints at 10. Uh, AE points out, what about Arthur Smith as a potential guy that could get fired this upcoming year? Uh, I mean, could, could. Um, I think that he's a guy that fault him for having Mariota as his quarterback. Exactly. Until he gets a competent quarterback into his system. I think that this will be, I think this upcoming year will be the year is kind of a prove it situation for him. Unless they decide to roll with Desmond Ritter, who stinks in my opinion. Um, He didn't look bad today. And I mean, granted the, the second half he's playing against mostly uh, second stringers, but I mean, he, put up 30 points. I mean, I think, I mean, I think he's a, fr- I think he's a definitely an NFL caliber player. He's a fringe starter, but he's not ever going to be a stud. I don't see it ever happening. And, and I think that if you, you know, want to do better than like a Taylor Heineke type, then you should probably go and get another guy. Um, and there's a reason that he and Malik Willis and all these guys went in the third round last year. They, they just aren't that great. Um, I think the Falcons will definitely be looking at a, a new quarterback, and I think that, that is what's going to ultimately dictate Arthur Smith's job for the future, whether or not when he gets a quarterback in his system, he can be a guy that, you know, coaches a team to win that division, that very bad division right now, by the way, a bad division that really doesn't have a lot of prospects going forward. I mean, Tom's going to be out of Tampa Bay after this year. The Saints, who they have negative 10 million in cap and they have a bad head coach and uh, Jameis Winston is their only guy on the roster at quarterback next year. Um, the, the, the Panthers continue to be a dumpster fire, but they'll probably get a new coach and a new, um, a new quarterback. So we'll see, we'll see. I think that Arthur Smith is going to be expected to win that division in the coming years. And that's what will determine his job. All right. Um, where do we want to go now, JT, a couple other topics to discuss that I think we may just get into next week. Here's a, here's a fun factoid for you guys at home. This is officially the most strange structure for the hot read podcast, but it's been a strange weekend and we'll just, you know, we, we enjoy talking to you guys here live, especially Chris and AE who've been with us the whole time. Um, a, a stat that was tweeted out by at Titan stats, Wes on Broadway, a colleague and friend of ours here at Broadway sports media, he tweeted out today that after uh, the Titans final game against the Jaguars, there is only one team in the NFL that failed to score 28 or more points in any game this season. And that team is the Tennessee Titans, which is kind of crazy. But then I go back and I look and it's like, yeah, man, they never got more than four touchdowns in one game. Um, every other team, including some of the worst offenses known to mankind, the Broncos, the Panthers, the Buccaneers this year, the Texans, the Colts, all of these teams, man, the the Steelers, like they all got north of 28 points. They all got 30 point games. And I think when he said that, he said after today's games, meaning the Texans might have not been there today, but especially after their showing against the Colts, they may have gotten over that 28 point deficit or mark today, I think. Yes, I think you're right. I think that's right. I think, I mean, the Broncos definitely got into the 30s today. The Texans got into the 30s. They may have, have checked their boxes, but yes, that's how pitiful this offense had been. AE points out if Amy Adams Strunk had fired Vrabel, he would have been the Texans head coach. He would have been a head coach somewhere. He'd have had his pick of the litter. AE, I think you're actually wrong. I think he wouldn't be the Texans head coach, not because the Texans wouldn't want him, but because he's a guy that like if you saw Mike Tomlin get fired, like if you saw um, 
if you saw Sean McVay get fired and become available, it, when you see Sean Payton available this offseason, he's going to have his pick of the litter. Hey, Chris, we appreciate appreciate you. He came in before you got here, JT, and said, uh, first time being here. Hope you guys don't suck. We didn't suck. Thanks, Chris. We appreciate you listening, and hopefully you listen to the show in the future. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't think that he'd be a guy that would have to go to one team. He'd immediately be a very highly sought-after coaching option. He'd, he'd have his pick of two or three different teams and get to go to the best situation for him. So, um, yes, if Amy Adams Strunk had fired Vrabel, he'd be somewhere else, but I think it'd be a place better than the Texans. What else, JT, before we wrap up here? If anybody else has any last-minute questions or comments, please go over to Broadway Sports Media on YouTube and leave those for us. Um, here's an interesting one that that I, I reminded myself via Twitter earlier today. You know, the dominating question, JT, this offseason for the Titans is going to be, will Tennessee move up to get a quarterback in the draft this year? And that's you know, that's fun. That's fine. That's That's good. What's infinitely more fascinating to me is this question. Does Mike Vrabel want or have any desire at all to develop a young guy at quarterback? What does Mike Vrabel want at quarterback? Have we, and this is not to say that I know he doesn't have this desire, but I, I don't have anything that I can point to in my two years covering the Titans and this year getting to talk to him and kind of get his vibe on Malik Willis, his first really young, somewhat promising quarterback. They, they, they've given us no reason. He's given us no reason to think that he's really all that interested in developing a guy. And so it, it would not shock me at all. It looks like the lions are going to beat the Packers. That's great. Yeah, we went to finals. So we have our playoff, uh, our playoff brackets are set now for the 2022 season. All right, get that pulled up JT. And we'll, we'll go yeah. over that here in just a minute. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if Mike Vrabel has any, has any desire to do that and develop a young guy. I'm not saying he doesn't, I'm not saying he doesn't, but I don't know that he does. And I think this off season is going to be the definitive answer in that category. They have the opportunity, should they want to, to go and get a young quarterback in this draft. They also have the opportunity to stick with Ryan Tannehill and roll into next year and kind of do a rebuild and, and stay and stay competitive. They also have the ability to tear it down, but not address quarterback yet. Um, and so what they do is going to be very contingent on what Mike Vrabel wants, obviously, because he's going to have a bigger say in the direction of this team going forward, who is hired at GM. Once that guy is hired, what the personal decisions are, um, even if they say he doesn't have a big influence, he may not have a big influence, but he's going to have some influence. That's the the nature of the job and the the gravitas that he has built for himself as the head coach of this team. So that's the most fascinating question to me. And as we, uh, everybody on the internet now stomps on the grave of the Packers because the Lions swept them this year. Hey, round of applause for the Packers, or for the Lions, <laughs> rather. Round of applause for the Lions. Motor City Great Kitties, season. man. Never the, doubted. Me never and you doubt. were never MCDC in doubt. And the Motor City Kitties, man. They they were killer this year. So fun to watch. I Back am in so... March when we put the, uh, we sprinkled a little money on the uh, over six wins. We hey, never, we never that. in doubt. Never in doubt. What is a bummer is I had a, a a bet from earlier in the season for the Lions to make the playoffs. They come this close because the freaking Rams couldn't get the job done against the bad Seahawks. I anybody that would that pref, anybody besides Seahawks fans that tells me they prefer to see this Seahawks team in the playoffs over this Lions team, I don't believe you, man. You're lying. You're lying. <laughs> get out of here. Um, it should have been the Lions, but next year, though, you know who's not getting fired this offseason? Dan Campbell. 
Dan Campbell is True. here to stay. True. I think he's the truth. I think this Lions team is the truth. And they they are, JT, one of the most fascinating teams to watch in this offseason. They are a team that absolutely could go get that quarterback and then be really scary because they have a pretty nice they have a great offensive situation around them. That defense just needs a few more pieces. It'll be bolstered and ready to go. Like there's a lot of things going on with the Lions right now, right now that are very promising. So I think that's great. All right. You said you had pulled up the final playoff brackets for the season. Yeah, I was so, going to, we could, we yeah, could end off down. the show here. We can yeah. look at the final playoff bracket. And if, of course it sucks that the Titans aren't here, but maybe if you want to put in the chat here, who you are bandwagoning and jumping on the, jumping on the bandwagon here to root for down the stretch here, we can go through that and why you might be rooting for them, but let's go through our divisional or our wild card matchups here. So we're going to have the Bills at home hosting the Dolphins in their matchup, whether they have two or not. That will be an interesting one uh, to, to see next week. We have the Bills and the – or sorry, not the Bills. The Bengals and the Ravens. The Ravens, of course, having to go back to Cincinnati just a week later for the same exact game. Um, once again, another quarterback controversy. Will we? Will see they have Lamar Jackson? Lamar Jackson. Yeah. It's a whole different ballgame, but – the Bengals avoid any coin flips or anything like that today with a win. And then finally, our third and final AFC wildcard matchup is going to be the Jaguars versus the Chargers. Of course, the Jaguars hosting the Chargers. That'll be uh, the most interesting one. Which one stands out to you the most, Easton? The game and there the problem with the AFC playoff picture right now is that there are a handful of quarterback question marks as to who's going to play. The game that is most interesting to me, it's not Bengals-Ravens because I think the Ravens are maybe the worst. Well, not the worst because the, uh, well, it. I don't know. If the, Dol- if the Dolphins don't have Tua, they're the worst in the AFC. But if they have Tua, the Ravens, I think even with Lamar, are the worst team in the AFC playoff picture. I don't understand the hype for them. I think that they're a very mid, boring, incomplete team. There's a roster there with a lot of holes that I don't, like to make a run. So I think that they're the worst team and, and the Bengals are going to handle them very easily. I, I think um, it really comes down to the other two matchups. If Tua is playing, the, the Dolphins are playing the uh, the Bills, correct? Yeah, they'll be going up to Buffalo again. Depending on the weather, that could be interesting. But the problem with that game is, you know, we saw in their last game when they had Tua, that was a really compelling game in Buffalo and the weather was a factor and it didn't matter. It came down to the end. It was a very fun, high scoring game. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for, but because we don't know the weather and we don't know Tua's situation. And from what I hear, it's less likely that he's going to play than he is going to play on his third concussion of the year. I think that the, the ultimate, you know, process of eliminations here is I've got to go with the chargers and the Jags, two teams that are scrappy young on the up, on the up, swing um i think that i'm guessing the early line i've not looked yet is probably chargers barely favored even though that they're on the road in jacksonville it's probably like chargers one and a half or something i think that'll be a really closely matched game against two or between two really young and compelling young quarterbacks young faces of the league trevor lawrence and justin herbert so that one's really fascinating to me and i'll i mean i'll be watching all of them but that's probably the one i'm most excited for yeah let's head over to the nfc now which just finalized here we're gonna have the Seahawks getting in on that final seven spot going down to San Francisco to play the 49ers. We have the Vikings and Giants in a rematch game. The Giants once again 
heading to the Vikings. A lot of games here that are just like, we're just running it back on things that happened earlier this year. And then we have the Cowboys going to Tampa Bay to face the Buccaneers. Which one stands out to you? Um, the, frankly, from not a entertainment standpoint, from, from a cynical, I'm a bad person standpoint. <laughs> I, I really want to. I really want to see the the Cowboys and the Bucks because I think the Bucks are going to win, and I think the Cowboys are going to be sent to terminal turmoil. And I despise the Cowboys, um, not the team necessarily, but a a team that that gets way too much national hype because of the market that they're in every year. We spend too much time talking about them and that's only inflated if we have to talk about them um, from, <laughs> from a, they just won the Super Bowl standpoint or they, you know, they're the defending NFC champion um, that that's only going to make it worse. So I'd prefer for them to leave. And I think it'd be hilarious if they lost um, after going what 12 and four on the year, 12 and five on the year, 12 and they five, lost yep. to the, the poverty Tom Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Buccaneers um, with <laughs> with no help whatsoever. So that's what I'm hoping is going to happen. The most entertaining of those games. This one's kind of gross too, but I think that I think that uh, Giants Vikings could be entertaining because it's the it's really the the battle of the frauds, and we saw them play already a couple of weeks ago this season, and it was a battle to the end of the fraudulent teams. I think both teams are, have been frauds all year, but not like I hate them. They're frauds. They're frauds, and I think it's hilarious because it makes everybody else upset about them. So um, I think the Lions will probably win, but I could totally see if the Vikings – or not the Vikings, Lions. What? I think the Vikings <laughs> will win, but I can totally see the Giants, if they are healthy enough, which is a big if, they could contend in that game against, again, a, a Minnesota team that's just not all that great. The the Seahawks 49ers game, I'll I'll hope it's good, but I I kind of see <laughs> I'm I kind of see, the Seahawks see what that line is in that game to be yeah, honest because all the other lines on at least on Action Network you can see the early lines here but they haven't put one out for Seahawks Niners yet but all the other ones are pretty um, what you kind of expect and what I kind of expected uh, coming into this you have the Dolphins Bills uh, Dolphins being a ten point. You can get them ten and a half on FanDuel, but ten and a half. So, underdog. so Vegas does not think the two is playing clearly. No, uh, you have the Ravens as six point dogs in that game, which is yes, interesting. They, they should be. I mean, right now, I'd, probably I, a lot more considering. Yeah, I, I would, I would probably take the early line and take the Bengals. That's yeah. It sounds like that's assuming that Lamar is going to be back, but I, I don't know. The Chargers game is actually the Chargers are favored in that game at minus two and a half right now. I was right. Yep, was that favorite makes uh, sense. The Cowboys Buccaneers that the good old Cowboys are favored by three in that one. Kind of every single game, the Cowboys and Buccaneers, it's always three one way or the other. And then the Giants Vikings is also at three, but you can get it. You can get the Giants plus two and a half on Barstool. So if JT, you want to waste is, your money, go for it. <laughs> exactly. JT, this is the fun of doing a live show. I just got a text from my dad. You know, the Titans Lions game just ended and he texts me out of the blue. Didn't we didn't the Titans pass on Amon Ross St. Brown for Des Fitzpatrick? I said, <laughs> yes, the, yes, they did. And he said, yes. are you serious? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, they did. And that's the guy who did that. He, he didn't have a job anymore. So that, you know, correlation <laughs> causation crazy how that works but uh yeah i think that 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 is uh, a, a pretty pretty good wild card weekend slate jt before we leave here's the question i want to ask because you always get at least one wild card game as an upset like somebody's gonna win that you weren't seeing and seeing win who who do you think pulls the upset this wild card weekend if you had to pick one team to pull the upset 
I mean, it's 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 not the it's not the sexy pick. I mean, like you said, I think the Giants have the best the they have the best uh, path to upsetting this weekend on Wild Card Weekend. I think for think all the reasons you said, yeah. um, I think that they, if they're healthy, I think um, they can go into that building and like they did last time and almost win, they can mm-hmm. find a way to win once again. I think one other one is also in the NFC in, like you said, also the Buccaneers upsetting the Cowboys in that game. I, I might may or may not be putting a little bit of coin on the Buccaneers to win that game. Mm. Um, just because That's I also fair. think that the Buccaneers always play the Cowboys tough and especially, uh, I'm never going to count out Tom in the playoffs. That's I about sure. to say that that'd be my pick for the upset here. I'm taking Buccaneers plus three out of the gate. I think that they'll probably be the team that pulls the upset. Um, and that's not a reflection of, I think the bucks are good. It's a reflection of, I think the Cowboys are bad. So, uh, yeah, that's, that, that'll do it. I think JT, any, any more thoughts before we get out of here? We've gone an hour and 45 minutes. We've had I mean, five to 10 viewers yeah. the whole time. We really, our, I really appreciate everybody tuning in for this weird live version of the show. Um, if anybody our, has any last minute questions, people, you can ask them. Yeah. For our people who listen to the show, we can finally pass off as much as it hurts me, the official sharp, uh, title to Easton freeze here. There you go. Yes. Wrong way. There you go. Hey, thank you. So if you, I if finished you the day on yes. yeah, uh, three Wait. and two, and I think you finished hey, way to finish both three and two yes. winning we, day for everybody winning day for everybody. We both finished finish. over 500, but I think I just finished about two, two and a half games back of you for that title. So I've actually got to pull it up to, right here. You, oh, you I, I, I finished uh 46, 40 and four on the season which is good for a 53.4%. We will take that. That's making money. <laughs> JT, you finished 44, 41, and 5. So you finished a game and a half back. You Valiant effort, despite being down for most of the season. But hey, yeah, as a not, show... Not my best season, but you know, we'll, t- we'll, we'll get them next year. So as a show, we finished... Let me write this down real quick as I do some quick math. We finished uh 90 90 81 and 9 which is good for uh almost 53 percent. so hey great great year for the best bet gauntlet we're going to keep doing some version of the gauntlet going into the playoffs so don't worry i have a feeling uh, our our personal accounts and whatever we've been we've been hitting a lot more than we were earlier in the season i think we're getting hot at the right time here no i agree entirely down the stretch here so this playoff run could be very profitable no, I, I agree entirely. And so you're going to want to stick with us if you're a listener of the show or you're not a listener of the show and you're looking for a show to stick with. We uh, we put a lot of time and effort into this betting thing. And I'll tell you, for, for those of you that are like, why would I listen to these two you know, sports media guys that have no clear uh, ties to like professional sports betting? Why would I even even if they're hot, like they're they're not going to keep it up? Maybe not. But I, I will say for for our sakes to vouch for us. We are not professional sports betters, but we like we are what we like to consider uh, ourselves. We are we are semi-professional sports betters in the <laughs> sense that we are amateurs who base all of their betting decisions not on our own opinions, but on the opinions of other pros that we pay close attention to. We do a lot of research each and every week, and we we don't steal picks. Like there's no such thing as stealing picks, but. Our our decisions in in our bets that we give out are very much not informed by our, our own opinion exclusively, but it is mixed in heavily with the opinions of a lot of different betting tools like the, the Action Network has to offer. 
a lot of different betting sharps out there that we follow on social media. That's that's the kind of thing we tune into. And that's why, frankly, we're one of the only amateur betting shows that you will find out there um, that that had a winning record all year long, wire to wire. We were winning money. So um, I do recommend you betting with us because we are betting with others that are professionals. Like we're just passing on the wealth, passing on the money, uh, beat the books. That's what we're out here to do, right? And with that, I think, JT, we will finish up. Big, big, big thank you to the handful of you that tuned in live. If you're listening to the sound of my voice right now and this is the recording um, via podcast or via YouTube or whatever later, just know that if you follow us on Twitter um, at Easton Freeze, at Hot Reap Pod, at JT underscore Runky, at Broadway TN, any of those accounts, whenever we go live with this show, which could happen more, could happen less uh, over the next couple of months with draft talk, we'll definitely be doing some Q&A's. We may go live with a handful of our big guests. I mean, JT, people don't know this. We had some big guests last year. We did. And I sat down today to to make a list of guests that I'm going to start reaching out to for our draft shows. We're going to have some big guests again this year. We had some big national guys last year. I mean, we had we had um, we had uh, Mike Renner from PFF. We had Austin um, Austin. Uh, uh, I'm totally blanking. Wait, is it Austin? Sorry, I gotta I gotta make sure I get his name right. I gotta make sure I get his name. Austin Gale. Austin Gale. I, I was there about to is. say from PFF, not from PFF. He he was with PFF. He's now uh, a director over at the Ringer. We had Marcus Whitman, that fantasy guy on YouTube, very 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 popular uh, NFL YouTuber. We, we've had some some big names as well as some big local names. And we've had Teron Davenport on a handful of times. Sean McAvoy, personal QB coach to Malik Willis and uh, other big quarterbacks that we're going to see come out in this draft. I, JT, you and I know he told us a couple of weeks ago that he has a couple of the top three or four or five quarterbacks in we're this year's draft. We're six or seven. We can't, we can't really get it. He's, got, a, he's got more than yeah. one of them. The top 10 quarterbacks, he's got a handful of them in this year's draft that he is personally coaching. And I'm, I'm already talking to him about him coming in and doing a, maybe a recurring role on the show as a guest. So we're excited about that. It's going to be a very, very fun next couple of weeks as we have a handful of guests you've seen before, a handful of guests you've not. It's going to be awesome. You'll want to tune in. And it it will be, like I said on our last show, JT, this show over the next three or four months will be your number one source in the Nashville media market for Titans-specific NFL draft talk and discussion and analysis we are going to outdo everyone else in that category. And if you love the draft, this is the place for you. I promise we'll be doing multiple shows a week. We're not stopping just because the Titan season is over. We may take a slight break in the sense that we might do one show a week for a week or two, but that won't be long. We're going to be doing multiple shows a week for the most part, all the way through April until the draft comes. And then, of course, after that, we get to react to the draft and go into the summer um, we will probably have a couple of weeks where we have three or four shows during the week. We'll be doing live streams that you'll want to tune into all of that good stuff. You can't know that it's happening if you don't follow us on social media. So follow us on social media and subscribe to the show, wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe on YouTube at Broadway sports media, YouTube. Appreciate you guys that have been listening with us live. We are going to be done for tonight, but we will be back for a show on Friday. We'll be talking about the NFL playoffs. The Titans are not involved in, but there's going to be plenty of Titans discussion, I think, to be had after this first week of Aftermath. May have some heads roll, may have some uh, some sound bites from coaches or players to get into. There'll be plenty to discuss. 
on the Titans front and on the playoffs front. Until then, I'm your host, Easton Freeze. For producer JT, for producer JT, Jake Twizzle, Jungle Tiger, this has been the Hot Read Podcast. We'll talk to you on Friday.